What's up, everybody? This is episode four of Storytime with Devin. Okay, what's up, what's up, what's up, guys? How's it going out there in podcast land? Uh, If you're joining us, whether it's on YouTube, Facebook, whatever the case might be at this point, hopefully it's YouTube, we really appreciate you. We really appreciate the listens. Uh, I'm back here with Zach Spooner again. Um, Zach and I have persevered through this challenge once more, and uh, we have figured out how to master the remote beauty of technology. So, um, Zach did most of the rigging on this. Congrats, buddy, because I was, I couldn't exactly do it. So, you hate to see it, but um, that happens. We're coming through. We're coming through. Uh, man, we got a lineup today. We got a lineup today, man. Um, how's it going? He, so, Zach just moved into college, by the way. Um, yeah, so how'd that go for you down there moving in? No, it was pretty smooth, honestly. Didn't have a lot, left most stuff here, so it was, it was pretty easy. Not a lot of pain doing it. Yeah. Sick. Sick. You said you were taking apart your desk? Yeah, since I got a monitor for Christmas, I had to take off the whole back end, uh, back part because it was like a shelf. Well, I'm about to make that truck in about seven days. Jaime calls me yesterday. For those of you who don't know, Jaime is a guy who used to work here. Um, loser, some say, but uh, <laughs> he's a good friend of mine. Used to work here, and um, he doesn't. He's living in Chicago now, but um, yeah, he should be coming back down the next six or s- Saturday, Friday. I guess that's four days away from now. Always track of time. But what that means is Zach starts school. What you said on Tuesday, right? Yep, Tuesday. So he starts school on Tuesday, which is super depressing um, for me. <laughs> but then uh, I start school in a week from today, which is rough. So if any of the content starts to go down just a little bit, don't don't hate too much. Like your boy's juggling, like I'm I'm juggling like sick jobs. So it happens, um, and I know Zach's got a time of school work too. So, but we're gonna try and keep this up because this is uh, one fun learning experience for us. Um, but more importantly, you know, we want to do something good, want to do something big for y'all and uh, hopefully can keep producing content and letting you know what it is like for a small business in this kind of world. Right. All right, man. Um, so what's the first thing we got today? First thing we got. Um... <clears throat> the. Capital, right? Yeah, capital, the hot button topic. Yeah. So is this is this been over a week now, or like it when does this even happen? Yeah, it's been over a week. I believe it was on the sixth of January. Sixth, Jesus. Well, cool. I'm sure most of y'all have heard um, the Capital Storm by now. I'm sure you've you've heard it, you've seen it, done all of that. Uh, and what we're here to do is not to dictate one side or the other. I simply had a conversation with Zach last night. Um, and you know, we talked about it then as we talked about it before a couple times, but I had an interesting interaction and I just wanted to 
brings forth some facts that some people might not know, might not understand. And these are exactly what I said is these are just facts, right? It's no swaying of opinion. We'll talk about it a little bit, but uh, it's really just information for y'all. Um, and it's going on. So that's what it is. But Zach, why don't you break down for us the events that occurred in this first, you know, in, in, in the events that happened on the 6th? Okay. Well, I know initially uh, Trump, he had a rally outside the White House, you know, for, uh, you know, in support of himself, uh, obviously. <laughs> so was that, that was outside the White House the same day? Yeah, it was outside the White House the same day. And then okay. later on, after he'd stepped down from the rally, the crowd uh, moved on to the Capitol day. And then okay. later on, after he'd stepped down from the rally, the crowd uh, moved on to the Capitol. Hmm. And this was, this was all set up for the intention of knowing that there was a vote going on. Like, why would yeah. Trump being have a, why would Trump have a rally when I mean he's leaving office anyway? Uh huh. I honestly don't. Uh, a lot of it was talking about in his rally was talking about stopping the steal. Um, no, that was that's what I was getting. Yeah. That was his rally. I don't right. know everything he specifically said, so I'm not gonna, you know, get too in depth yeah. with it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, we can fact check later too if we need. So, but yeah, go ahead. Okay, but after that, the crowd. Uh, moved down from the White House to the Capitol because they're very close to each other. And um, basically they ended up uh, being able to break into the Capitol partially due to a lack of uh, police presence. Mm. Now, I've heard a couple sources. Is this right or wrong? I've heard a couple things that says the police knew there was something gonna happen that day and there was a memorandum passed out and it said like don't shoot him right uh i don't know about that i do know that um lawmakers were unaware that the police actually did request for assistance and they were never backed up by the national guard hmm that's interesting yeah that's important miscommunication i can't i did hear that um initially uh Trump didn't want to deploy the National Guard. Yeah, which would make sense because it looked pretty bad on him. Yeah. Right. Okay, so a, a recap of the general events. Trump's having a rally. To the day was the vote for... Um, yeah, it was certifying uh, the Electoral College. Right. So the big thing, the big focus here is the certification of the Electoral College. All right. Trump's having a rally. The rally ends. The his ralliers. Now, where was Trump during this time? Where did he go after the rally? Was he just like back doing you know normal Trump stuff? Watching TV. Okay, okay. So it wasn't like he was in the forefront of the rally at the Capitol, right? No, I know that's why. Apparently, some people were mad because he said, "I'll be right there with you." And then he wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, kind of shocking. You know that you know a seventy-year-old man isn't in the middle in the front. He's not leading the charge. What a shocking revival! You know. Okay, so Trump's Trump's chilling out now, and 
this rally then decides is is he hitting up Twitter at this point? Like, at what point was he hitting up Twitter with like these supposedly irrational, crazy remarks? Right? Uh, it was some point. Um, the, the only time, time I know he um, hit up Twitter is he posted a pre-made video after about like two minutes after Joe Biden said uh, get on uh, challenged him to get on Twitter. Joe Biden challenged him to get on Twitter. And, was yeah, that an effort to calm the rally? Yeah, to stop Oh, violence. okay. 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 So, I don't know yeah, exactly what he sent out. I know he sent out earlier tweets. I don't know exactly what those were, so I don't want to make any claims. Yeah. Um, let me actually pull. Well, I, I don't know if I can pull that out. Um, I, I just want to get this. I think this account might just be permanently wiped. Yeah, I know it's all over news sources, though. Um, sending uh, coup to capital? I don't know. I don't know if I can pull anything off of this. Business Insider, right here. Okay, so Trump said at the time of the, the attempted coup, Mike Pence did not have the, didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our constitution, giving the states a chance to certify a corrected set of facts, not the fraudulent or inaccurate ones which they were asked to previously certify. USA demands the truth. About 15 minutes after fanning the flames, with his initial tweet, Trump appears to take a different tone. Please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They're truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. Right. 45 minutes later, Trump added, I am asking for everyone at the Capitol uh, to remain peaceful, no violence. Remember, we are the party of the law and order. Respect the law for great men and women in blue. And it says, however, many he didn't ask any of his supporters to leave the Capitol. Right. And so, again, Trump's wording here is the important thing to take note of, right? Um, suggestive at least, at the least suggestive, um, but passive at, at the best, you know? I can add on what he said in his video in response to Joe Biden. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. What did he say? He, his video was mainly about how the election was, how uh, he was the election is stolen and... Um, uh, it mentions be peaceful, and then he also said, you need to go home now. You're very great people. We love you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, despite all that, and this, again, isn't saying if you like Trump or whatever, like, the, the political views, one, you don't know mine, or Zach's, so it, it doesn't even matter. It's irrelevant from that. Um, but the political views aside, what does this mean? This doesn't mean, like, if you are like liking Trump or if you think that like he was doing good stuff or if you were even like on his side in this position, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. We're just talking about the actions that were taken and and what this means for America, because I think this is where it gets lost in the media and the news. We're like, we're overlooking just as I I was even overlooking it, um, possibly what was going on. And then it was brought to my attention again, like by our conversation last night, like, the actual intentions of the attack, like what could have happened, you know, could have been detrimental, right? Or like what was what was the intention of what was going on behind the actions of like what Trump was saying and with the coup and the possible, like you were saying, the overruling, right, of a, of a peaceful transition of power. Yeah, that was the big thing. 
It was the symbolicness of the peaceful transition of power. Uh, also, what we say about Mike Pence, Mike Pence does not have the constitutional power to overturn an election. Hmm. In that statement. So, like, he made a call on it, but, like, he does not actually have the power to do anything. Hmm. So, essentially, it's just, like, uh... That was just, like, another shot for no reason, you know? Yeah. Is that what I'm gathering? It was just a Trump shot? Yeah, basically. Like, Mike Pence, it didn't matter what Mike Pence wanted to do. Mm-hmm. In this case, he did say he wouldn't, even if he could. But even if he w- didn't want to, he doesn't have a choice. But it's a certain, like, he doesn't have the power. It's Congress that has the power. Right. Okay, so well, what does this mean? You know, like, what does this mean for us as a country? Like, what's the significance of it? Like, that's what I want to get past. I don't want to get past, like, in the media stuff, like, what they said, he said, she said, what, like, our comparativisms. Well, we're talking about, like, what this means for the country, which is, like, if this did go through, and, like, historically speaking, this has probably been one of the bigger events that have happened as far as... um you know, outside of the, like, some other, like, before Reconstruction, like you were telling me, right? Yeah, when Recon... <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, uh, when Reconstruction ended, basically what happens is the Union Army pulled out of the South. So then, um, at the time, people in the South, they basically um, intimidated uh, African-American voters and like would threaten to even kill them and in north carolina at least they actually stormed the town forced the entire uh, government to resign at gunpoint and mm. retook control of the town right right so in, in that on like a, on a federal level is what we're seeing now maybe on a grander scale just because the significance of this means that you know what has happened was a potential takeover of the federal United States government in their resisting of a peaceful transition of power, essentially forcing Trump back into that position of power, right? Was uh, That's the goal per se, right? Yeah, at least that was the idea, you know. I mean, that was the whole campaign, stop this deal, so keep Trump in office. Right. So right. I think we can assume that, like, if they're storming the Capitol, the goal is to prevent the transition of power to peaceful transition of power to Joe Biden. Yeah. Right. So, you know, we've got a couple of obvious glaring things that maybe we'll just touch on. It's hard to talk about them because they're so polarizing for people. But, you know, I'll just run over them just because I think they're important. Um, when we talk about this, and obviously the past year for us has been quite a trivial year for the United States. Uh, with all the events that have happened, the, the virus, um, the distrust in media, the, the continual like spewing disease of misinformation that happens so fast uh, via social media, which is an incredibly powerful pa- platform, but we all know that power can be used in both good and bad ways. And... Um, Oftentimes, because the quick instant, like instantaneity of social media, we will be often, even news sources are often to share something immediate, right off the cuff, 
because they want to be the first to grab it. They want to be the first anchor. They want the most clout. They want the first guy to say it. Um, but the problem with that is, is we get less checked, you know, less um, sustained. We, we don't actually have the most solid coverage on all of these topics. And so when we look at this and we look at these events, I mean, what we got here is like the Black Lives Matter movement, um, as we were seeing this past year. Yeah, it was like definitely a trivial one. Um, I didn't agree with a lot of what was going on. It was very difficult for me to see, you know, the rioting and looting in a lot of places. And yeah, it can be very chaotic, in my opinion. And what I was seeing through that, my initial knee-jerk reaction to this was like, okay, well, yeah. So it's kind of like the big brother, little brother thing, which is like, all right, if Johnny can do this and, you know, then your mom gets mad at you when you try and follow his same actions, it's like, well, Johnny did that. Why can't I do that? Right? So I think that's how most of America looks at this, which is a very naive way to look at it. But nonetheless, I mean, we're all simple people, you know, at the end of the day. Um, however, what I want to bring to the attention here is why it's not the same, right? Why there is a difference because apparently, you know, with the black lives matter movement, if we really look at the root of at least the, the consequence of the movement, if you can even collectively say it was a movement because it's a lot of individual movements and inside of a group, I suppose, but the movement itself um, you know, had consequences of these riots, of these loots, of these things like that. Um, and that was essentially the consequence of where everything was going, right? But what those people were fighting for was more for getting back to something that they are getting, I should say, not getting back, but getting something that they believe they didn't have, which is stemming from primarily the instance of, but numerous instances over the years of George Floyd. And, you know, he should be able to simply go outside the store and what, you know, he was claiming to have not, um, tell me how to exactly. uh, it was, the, it was, he was, they were called because apparently they claimed he was paying the counterfeit money. Yeah. I, I don't oh. know if it was ever verified or not, but that was right. why the police were called. And so a counterfeit $20 bill leads to death and murder obviously that's a little bit like it's it's starting to get very skewed here and because of corona and all these other things like it led to a fun like finally i mean there's been way worse things that have happened obviously this is very gruesome not downplaying it at all but like there's been way worse things with other people um in the past black white whatever that have happened but it just led to this peak pinnacle point and now it's like back to what today is which is martin luther king jr day and, you know, we're leading back to getting something that we, you know, have never had for certain populations in this country. There is division in some ways. There is privilege in some ways. And that's just the way the world kind of works. And we're trying to build and overcome these things. Very difficult. Now, the distinguishing factor, and Zach, I'm going to have you try and sum this up because maybe you can do better than me. The distinguishing factor between that and this movement that we have going on as of January 6th is what? The biggest distinguishing factor is George Floyd, he was murdered. There is, there is proof. 
Whereas the biggest thing is, there's been no conclusive proof that there was election fraud. Mm-hmm. So, and why is that? That's because um, one of the biggest things is they brought around 60 court cases to judges. And not just liberal judges, judges that Trump has appointed as well. And even to the Supreme Court, which has three judges that Trump appointed. And you only need four to agree to hear a brief. Every single one of them has been thrown out. Hmm. And in addition, um, the Secretary of State of Georgia also... And those are about, sorry, those were about his judges, right? Yeah. Like, those are Trump-appointed judges. So Both even Trump those guys... Yeah. Right. And what happens is, just for the maybe people that don't know, like, when stuff is thrown out, usually it's thrown out on a premise that it's just not even able to be conclusive. There's just not enough evidence or even hard facts to even begin to conclude a premise without reasonable, beyond reasonable doubt that this happened, right? Yeah. And then, um, sorry, I completely lost my train of thought. Um, no, no, you're talking about the Georgia senator. Also, um, the Georgia secretary of state, he has nothing to gain from uh, certifying Biden. Like, it's basically political suicide. Mm-hmm. Because Trump is the kingmaker in the Republican Party. So, right, and he is... And he is I'm not familiar with him. Yeah, he's a okay. Republican. So, it's like, that's the thing. It's in his best interest if they're actually... And George has had, I think, two or three recounts. <laughs> which uh, makes me believe it's unlikely that there was widespread voter fraud. Right. Just, and... Yeah. Go ahead. So, Go ahead. I was gonna say, so the big compelling difference is this move, the, these two movements, one was triggered by um, the treatments, uh, like one of the catalysts was the treatment of George Floyd. And the other, the catalyst was something that like, as far as I know, there's been no, there's really been no uh, proof that's been offered up. No conclusive <laughs> evidence that's uh, been able to hold up in court. Right. And that that's what the, we're talking about here is conclusive evidence. We can go down conspiracy paths all day long. Obviously, it's, you know, it's fun. Sometimes it's, you know, we, we think it's possible, things like that. But the problem is, is conclusive evidence behind what is and what is not possible. Right. Um, looks like we're getting a phone call. It's it's on Monday. So. Sorry to whoever you are who's calling, but we are not open. Um, We are not open. Uh, (laughs) They could be able to see it on the sign, maybe. Um, Yeah, so I totally lost myself here. But uh, yeah, the the defining evidence is... um, uh, Sorry, just making a note here. The defining point of that fact is that um, what has happened with the election, not conspiracy theories, not other things. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying all these theories are just null and invalid. Like, of course, like we all have like pretentiousness against politicians, very corruptness, whatever and whatnot. But like, we're talking about thousands and thousands and millions of people that would have to be touching these hands in order for this to be conspiratorial at this point. Um, and 
for the matter of like saying that Zach, what Zach and I are, I'm, I'm speaking on his behalf at the moment, but like what we're saying here is, you know, there isn't not election fraud. There always is election fraud. It happens every single year. But the amount of, we talk about margins of error, the amount of marginal error or fraud in this case that would have bumped from this election to the last or to the one before that would have to be so like it's so marginal that there's not even a distinguishable difference um and zach you and i talked about this the like marginally speaking I, maybe we talked about this but like when you run the numbers back trump lost this election virtually by the same margins that he won the last election right in each state I thought that's what I had kind of heard. Yeah, I think it was pretty close. It might have been a slightly larger in like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, right? Right. So it's not very similar. Right. It it's not like it's far fetched, and it the as far as votes coming in late, we I don't even want to get into all that. But like as far as the votes coming in late, like it's a natural consequence of mail in voting. Yes, mail in voting as just about the same corruptness as in-person in-ballot voting. Why? Because there's machines and there's people, but, like, there isn't a ton of corruptness. Like, the amount of corruptness, it's just a margin of error. It's like when you drop a ticket, when you drop a vote, when you miss a turn, like, those are all very similar. And so, like, this isn't abnormal at all. I would say that this election year is no more abnormal this year than it was other than the fact that we had an outstanding voter turnout. I think it was one of the highest we've had, right? Yeah. It's been the highest, at least I think in like the last hundred years or something. And rightfully so. And rightfully so. It was a big election for a lot of people and, and Corona added on top of that. Nobody's doing anything. Again, it makes sense. If you look at the numbers and you look at the facts, we're not saying, yes, this is the way it should go. This is the way it shouldn't go. But we're just saying, here's the facts. Here's why it's happening. Biases aside, opinions aside, that's kind of what it is. Um, and it's unfortunate, you know. These events aren't the greatest things that happen. Um, and now look, look at some of the consequences of it. This is where we get into, like, political gaming and things like that. Um, Zach, you were saying that companies disown are now, like, rejecting and disowning GOP, the Republican Party in an effort to discourage them it's specifically uh everyone who voted against certifying biden's election results so yeah right which was most of the house of representatives yeah i was gonna say it's all but 10 all but 10 because i think there was 10 right it's a handful of senators including ted cruz Mm. so i mean this is where we get to political gaming um lobbyists and the ways our country is going to get led depending on you know how we react out of this so yes obviously a lot of companies they they just they just pick the side it's just like every business and that's the thing about business is like most businesses are too the most businesses are acting only in their beneficence and so whatever they got to do to make it sound good and look good for the upcoming leader that's what they're gonna do apple did the same thing all the time like tim cook a well-known like democrat 
is like kissing up to Trump the moment he steps in office, has many, like multiple luncheons and dinners with him and his family and Donald Trump Jr., like all these guys trying to get in with tax breaks, tax cuts, right. and Trump was Tim, pulling him out. Tim Cook is the CEO of Apple. Mm-hmm. What What did I say? Oh, you just, uh, you just said, you just talked about Apple, and I just, just wanted to clarify. Oh, yeah, yeah. My, I totally just overlooked that one. Yeah, Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, um, well-known, like, Democratic believer and whatever, which, fine, whatever. But, like, immediately, you know, he starts playing to the cards. And this is what we see everything happen. Um, and, like, you know, I want to talk about censorship now. Like, that's the next conversation that we're about to have to have in America over the next year is how censorship fits in to what, um, to what we're going to do, you know? Um, I know, like, Zach, if you want to speak to the consequence of what happened after with um, Twitter with Trump, and his account, and also, I guess, all of social medias with with Trump after what happened on the 6th. Yeah, so Trump had his Twitter account locked for 12 hours, um, and basically after that, he t- uh, like his he was much more like um, not encouraging. Uh, he was he was very much like you know we need to start uh, healing and stuff, and then Twitter just banned him. Really. Yeah, it was kind of like um, he he was more conciliatory. Like he wasn't like he was instead of you know being divisive uh, or anything. Or uh, Trump was being more conciliatory, and then Twitter's like this is I don't know. It was like a very marginal charge that they decided to ban him on. And they he got banned for is this life or two weeks or? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's indefinite. Oof, that's it. Um, and then yeah, everyone so, else followed suits. Facebook was next, yeah. then Facebook, YouTube, Snapchat, Instagram. Mm-hmm. And when he's when they're banning these accounts, guys, what we're talking about is they've banned um, at the real Donald Trump, right? They've banned Donald Trump's personal accounts. Uh, they have not. What they haven't banned is like the White House. They haven't banned um, the president or POTUS, right? They haven't banned any of the professional accounts. They simply ban personal accounts of that, of of Donald Trump. So it's not like they've limited all of his access to social media whatsoever. Um, and technically, that's how they're getting away with the censorship because it's personally his. Yeah. The other thing is Twitter and other platforms basically so they don't have to regulate speech in the past. So like, oh, political leaders can basically say whatever they want. Mm-hmm. That way they could sort of get around um, people arguing that they should be banned for uh, violating X part of, you know, the user agreement. But that's why a bunch of like, uh, that's why um, Twitter didn't ban Trump. That's why they haven't banned like any world leaders before. Mm-hmm. Which leads us to the discussion of right now, which is now that they've done so, now what? So what Twitter's done, not just Twitter, it's all these companies, but like what Twitter's done is opened up all of these, this huge can of worms as to the consequence of banning a world leader. And the reason we say that is because when you look at different world leaders like... Um, like, Zach, I was talking to you. Yeah, what, what's the guy's name? 
Say it again. Ayatollah Khomeini. Ayatollah Khomeini, right? Yeah. At one point, Iran. leader of Iran, right? Iran. So at one point, huh? Oh, no. Okay. Um, so at one point, um, you know, he made a tweet that said death to Israel, right? And I'm sure just as many as other people did, but he's a political leader. Um, and so it's like, okay, crap. Well, now what? Well, Twitter in that instance, and I don't remember when this was, but Twitter in that instance left him alone. Uh, they said, you know, we're going to let the people decide. We're going to leave it up there. There's nothing heinous. There's nothing too bad. We'll just leave it there. And, you know, the community will see and decide. Uh, but now that they've limited Trump and they've banned, they've banned him from the platform, now it's like, okay, we're allowing censorship in a sense, or we're at least... Yeah, so like... The limiting of a world leader, period, is now intimidating for all other world leaders on a Twitter or social media platform driven by America. Just because it's like everybody was using it. But what if Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, but I'm saying Jack Dorsey just because we generalize it as him, even though it's not him by any means. Um, you know, what if Jack Dorsey, a.k.a. Twitter, bans the leader of uh, Russia or, you know, I don't even know if Russia has Twitter, but, you know, some some other, you know, Saudi Arabia, any of these other, in whatever sense that they are a leader, what happens when they start banning these accounts from their social medias? Well, basically what happens is we're at the mercy now of people like Jack Dorsey, like Mark Zuckerberg, the you know founder of Facebook and owner of Instagram, and like, um, I mean, heck, even Bill Gates, uh, Google. So we're at the mercy of these people to decide what is and is not okay. Well, one sec, just a quick clarification. Bill Gates actually does not control Microsoft anymore. That is true. That is true. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, forgot about that. Um, I guess, though, if, if Bill did, you know, throw a quick bird, you know, hey, hey, we should probably not do this. I'm sure they maybe listen. Uh, yeah, true. Is he on the board still? I honestly don't know if he's still on the board. I know he only owns like 1% of the company now. That would seem so crazy to build a huge company like that and just flat out walk away. You know, like, that would be insane. <laughs> so, yeah, guys, I mean, and that's that's basically what we're getting at here is... And I don't know, Zach, what's your opinion on censorship? Or, you know, what's your thoughts behind it? The biggest problem with it is it's very inconsistent enforcement of guidelines. If they have guidelines and they're willing to enforce it, at least you have a starting point. But it's been wildly inconsistent with Twitter is the biggest issue. Because there's like right. one... Well, first, like, no one can violate their guidelines. And they're like, oh, if they're world leaders, they can violate our guidelines. But now, but, like, starting this year, they started, you know... Um, labeling things as misinformation or whatever um <laughs> so they started taking more activist role but they also focused more on certain leaders because mm-hmm. like iran is not going to be able to change twitter's bottom line Iran's regulation laws. yeah the US is it can and i said jack dorsey knows he's opening a can of worms he even called it he called it dangerous but necessary 
So he's aware that he's opening a can of worms. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem, guys. So he just thinks it's in his best interest, I'm sure, to ban Trump. You know, and I think in a perfect world, it would be a great way to, you know, make things happen, right? If we could all agree upon these keyword codes of like, okay, this is this is not okay. This is the community guidelines. This isn't okay. But like, guys, we're talking about not just algorithms that can pick out like violent words and violent actions. We're talking about going back to something that's has to be a little bit smarter to process this information, which is human beings. So we're at the mercy of, you know, whether it's a, you know, a worker behind the desk at Twitter picking out who is and who isn't allowed to say something, right? And I'm sure if it's a big enough figure, like it goes through a amount of people to decide that. But the deciding factor at the end of the day still has to do with the biases of that company, whether they're liberal, whether they're conservative. Um, and I mean, currently the outrage right now is that there's a ton of censorship around radicalist rightist voices like Alex Jones, people like that in this country. Maybe rightfully so, maybe not. I mean, it's, you know, it's a hard conversation to have. I think censorship is scary. I think it's quite problematic because we don't have quite clear structural guidelines to follow. But I think we're going to have to figure out something and how to at least cure the cause of misspread of information, you know? Yeah, because the problem is you need to have some regulation, like the classic example. So you can't just not penalize someone with a yell fire in a crowded theater and it causes a stampede. Mm. So obviously there yeah. has to be at least some amount of regulation as the issue. It can't just be the Wild West. Yeah. I don't know, man. It is. It's going to be interesting for sure. Um, especially when it comes to like talking about whether these platforms, these platforms are huge for companies, right? Um, businesses, small businesses are huge for us. Like I use Facebook on a daily, daily basis. Um, and what that means for us is obviously I don't think we're going to get censored on anything or whatnot, but it's just the algorithms change, the people's permissions change and, and stuff could go on and on. But whether we use or whether we view social media as a platform that essentially is a human right, is the internet a human right or is the internet simply a company, you know? Like obviously the internet, guys, I mean, we're at the point in society and I know it sounds crazy to say this, but like we're at the point in society that like internet's like water. It's kind of necessary, you know? Think about, I know there's days, we, we just can't even fathom it at this point, unless you're there somehow still. Um, but like, think about if there's been a day where like you haven't had internet or like you haven't needed it, like you've been, haven't been on your phone or whatever, anything like that. Like, yeah, people can very naively be like, yeah, I don't need internet. Like I wasn't on my phone at all yesterday and I don't do anything. I just work and I go home and I read books or watch TV or whatever. Like that's not like, even then you still have the internet because you don't have the things in your house. If you don't have the internet, you know, 
I just, the internet is almost at a point to where, like, I don't know if any of us could say, like, we can't get, like, we don't need the internet anymore. So if that's the case, does it become like a natural human right? You know? I know it's a big conversation. That's it. Yeah. Because, I mean, a lot of jobs now, when you apply for them, email. There's no more snail mail. They don't tell you how you got the job through snail mail. It's all email. Yeah. Yeah. Paying half the people now, they just get, um, like, this is the thing. Banking, all that is moving online. Like, more and more people are using everything online to pay. Yep. Online banking, online. I mean, we're talking literally everything is going online. And it's just, it's a definitely a necessity for my life. Um, and for those of you that say it's not, like, that's great. But, like, I'd love to hear, like, please DM me something. Like, I'd love to hear your perspective on why it's not. I'm not saying it's the greatest thing ever. I'm just saying we're at a point now that we're past, like, not using it. Like, let's say we can all go a day, a week, even without internet. That's fine. But that's, we also know if we absolutely needed access to it, we could get it. Right? Like, if we absolutely needed to, you know, find out some information or had something to do or this or that, or we needed, like, to get this done, we could get it easily. Um, We wouldn't wouldn't have to wait around for it. And Corona's really pushed us into... um embracing technology a lot faster embracing like more use of the internet like Zoom. yeah yeah guys like i'm being serious like if you don't see how fast corona has pushed us into the internet world which is like good and bad because like a lot of the older generation i wonder I, i'm i've tried playing the world back in my head like what if corona didn't happen obviously nobody suspected this to happen But, like, what if it didn't happen? Now, we were at a time where it was like, oh, man, the young crowd, as it always happens, the young crowd is so engulfed in technology. Like, they're really going to, you know, surpass the older people and older crowd, 30 and up, were falling off in technology. They weren't really that great at it and so on and so forth. But now, since Corona, like, the large majority of the world, whether you're 15 or whether you're 55, has had to figure out how to open up your phone look at some pictures, take some videos, you know, you've had to figure out how to, you know, share some links, start some recordings, take a live stream. Like that's kind of not super advanced, but like you got to start having to know what you're doing on a computer in order to do those things. Right. So I wonder what would happen if we weren't in this position. It's pretty crazy. Uh, We've been pushed I'd say we've been pushed five years further into the future in one year just by this, by Corona happening. Maybe not in the advancement of technology, but in the growth of people understanding it. I don't know. It's interesting, man. You got anything else on that? No, that's pretty much it. Okay. It does, I'm sure it does change the investment industry because there's a lot more demand for delivery you know being able to just order online yeah yeah i thought about this today as we got um food from somewhere today uh and guys like i'm 
I'm serious. Like the, the place we went to eat, it did not have online ordering or whatever. Uh, and they didn't even really have a website. And like the website was just like a generic. It wasn't even like their home. It it's there wasn't even their URL. It was like a generic like a third party site, and you couldn't actually navigate through it. There was no interactivity at all. It was one button. Um, crap. Um, and so when I was there, I'm like, man. Like, I call him on the phone. I get a lady with, like, attitude, and I'm just like, oh, this, maybe it's not the greatest. Like, you know, like, uh, I hate when that happens because I feel bad and I automatically, like, I don't really want to spend money there. And then, yeah, but point of the being is, is, like, just looking at the slowness of the growth of that. Like, if we didn't have online ordering now, guys, like, of probably 60% or more of our orders or 40% or more of our orders come through online ordering. And it's great for both of us. We get charged a little bit more for that. I mean, you guys don't see that, but like credit card processing wise, we get charged more and it's great for both of us. We don't need another worker sitting there answering the phone. We don't need this crazy expensive phone line, this VoIP phone line or something like that. And the orders come in automatically. And so, yeah, what we're going to see guys is like buildings being put up and they're only delivery distribution centers in the next few years. You know, it'll be Chick-fil-A distribution delivery center. And they only make orders for delivery. And it's special packaging and it's special this. And like, it's a quick drive up, pick up and go. So um, that's what we're always innovating for here. And that's what we're trying to do. And, I, you know, I'm taking it grain by grain. It's not so easy. Um and my parents, you know, they're, they've let me do a ton, but like, it's not easy to get to that point, but we're trying to do everything we can, just like we have delivery via DoorDash now, but it's through our own website. Um, you know, I'm hoping one of the things I've really been working on and I haven't told anybody, but I need to hopefully can get it done at some point is self-service ordering. Um, you can come in to the restaurant, whether you're picking up an order or you're placing an order, Go up to the iPad, make the order yourself, and put it in right there in the store. So it's all about speed. We know you guys don't like to wait around. I don't like to wait around a ton when I go to restaurants. Like when I'm in Alabama, if I could go to Hattie B's and put my order in myself, I would all day, like I all day long, just because like it's so comforting for those of us who know how to like fluently use technology. And the user interface isn't trash. That's the key. The, like the user experience cannot be trash on the website end because if it is, guys, it sucks. Um, like Panda Express is at absolute trash. Like I would never use that to order food. But Taco Bell's app, solid. I will use that all day long. So, like for me, it's comforting because I feel like I can order what I want. I can customize it the way I want. I'm clear about it. I don't have to have like, you know, I know what my options are and then I can thoroughly decide on my own time rather than like being rushed because I'm at the counter and everybody's looking at me and I get a long line behind me. So yeah, guys, the way technology is going is it's definitely going there, right? Um, and that kind of like leads us to right now, like where's the restaurant industry now? We're like, where's business now? I mean, many of you guys know it's January. 
Um, it's cold. Winter just happened. A lot of uh, a lot of us are broke. A lot of us have spent the majority of our money at Christmas and on Christmas. And um, yeah, that what that usually is is that means restaurants aren't that busy this time of the year. So um, I know a lot of restaurants. I've talked to quite a few restaurants around town. I've I've been with them and watching them, hearing from them, hearing from our vendors. A lot of people are slow right now. A lot of people don't have the business that definitely they could use to sustain uh, during this time. January is always slow. Usually doesn't matter what business you are, unless you're like a a gym. Usually (laughs) you're going to be kind of slow because people don't have money. Society kind of shuts down and um, or I guess an accounting firm. Gyms, accounting firms, uh, maybe some New Year's res firm, stuff like that. You know what I mean, but everybody typically slows down. Um, I remember for us, it used to be very tragic. Um, I mean, we would slow down to the point of like our days would be a third of what they normally were. And um, or at least a half. Yeah, I guess it would be about a half of what they normally were. And, you know, that's uh, that's rough, guys. Like when you're pulling in barely enough to break even on payroll, you know, it's, it's hard and you don't really have many options because you can't just, you know, you close early, but then people get frustrated and all the inconsistencies is just, it's not good, you know? So I got a lot of sympathy for restaurants that are struggling and, um, I see it and, you know, it's saddening and I'm trying to do a lot I can to help, uh, with some, with some other people, you know, I'm trying to help out some businesses some friends of ours and, uh, it's really it comes down to a point of innovation, right? Like Zach, I'm sure that you see the restaurants that you choose the most probably are more innovative than others because it's just easier for you. It's like Chick Fil A, right? <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> and, sorry. No, you're good. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, uh, no, I was just, just like agreeing with you that when like the restaurants that it's very easy to order from, like a very you know. The ones that are doing, like, it's very seamless. That's the kind of, like, you want to go back to. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting. And um, I think the way that the restaurant industry is going to progress here, I don't think people will ever stop going out. For It'd be a long, long time for that to happen. But, um, you know, people still need each other. Like everybody, I mean, right now is breaking to get out of their house because they want to go back out and see their friends, just see people. Like people still need people, but like movie theaters, right? Netflix is going to put out a new movie every single week. So what we're looking at here is the creative innovation that places are going to have to do in order to stay on top and at the top of people's mind and make them want to come out. So maybe they aren't coming out now just for food, but they're coming out for food and a show. Or maybe they're coming out for shopping and food or, you know, something of the something of that nature. Um, same thing with shopping. Like shopping's gonna have to figure that out too. <laughs> Cause man, in-person shopping is going down real quick with the innovation of internet. And just wait until AI comes along when you have like such quality and easy virtual reality that you can just like see the crap right there in your house, like everywhere. Oh man, 
I'm just going to put a damper on some stuff, man. That is going to put a damper on some stuff. Um, yeah, so anything else on that, Zach? Um, honestly, I really don't have anything to add on this. Okay. Yeah. The only yeah. restaurant that, like, I, or the only store I know that already makes a couple experiences Ikea. Right. You spend the whole right. day there, you eat there, you do everything there. I'm telling you, man, they get it wrapped up. And, like, people literally, I mean, when you think about Ikea, I've never not thought about Ikea as, like, a freaking tourist attraction. Because when people talk about it, they're like, oh, yeah, I went to Ikea. It's, like, a big deal. It's not just like, oh, yeah, I went to Ikea the other day. It's like, Ikea? Like, whoa, you know, like, you went there? It's like a freaking vacation spot. So, like, genius branding on their part. Um. And I did like I've only been I've never actually been into IKEA. My parents have been a couple times, but be perfectly though. Um, but yeah, it's really about innovation, and it's about the creative and figuring out what works for you and what works for your people, and that's what I've been continually trying to do for the past couple of months. I've really been on a bender of figuring out how to be more creative. Hence why we're doing said podcast right here. Um, so definitely trying to be more creative and figure, figure out what works in, in those sense and, and whatnot. Um, it's not easy, but like this, these past two months, I thought I was going to be able to build an app for us in which I just got derailed and sidetracked immediately with a ton of like marketing and Thanksgiving stuff that ended up lasting through Christmas because I underestimated it to begin with and like everything went well, but man, it was, it was a bender. It was a bender for sure. And so needless to say, I haven't developed the app yet. And guys, like for anybody out there, like wondering why a typical app takes about four to 500 hours to develop. Right. And I have uh, I'm one guy and I am inexperienced. So it might be a minute. Um, <laughs> But it's about innovation, right? So if I can get an app and a self-service app as well that you can come in and order on the iPad at the restaurant and stuff like this, that's what's going to make the difference. And um, making it as easy and as frictionless for you all to not only enjoy this experience, but also, you know, be willing to come back. So, um, yeah, I think I got one more thing. Uh Reopening. For all those wondering here, when we are going to reopen, I've gotten a few questions on Facebook about this stuff. Like, when are we reopening? What's coming up? What's happening? I'd like to say as soon as possible, you know? But with reopening, there's a logistical nightmare that happens. We then have to revert all of our operations that we've been doing for the past year, or better side of a year almost, um, back to what they were or some type of new innovation of that in order to make both work at the same time. So it's complicated. It's complicated. Um, but we're trying to work, work it out. Um, we get the one go-to to open up back, open businesses back up. Um, that'll be the beginning of it. But then... As long as the numbers stay down and we can figure out our operations uh, right enough, we will definitely be back open. We want we want people to be 
back in here safely and as fast as possible. Um, and it's just not worth it if you if you can't do that. So um, financial wise or not. Um, but I did want to talk about the general reopening of the country slash vaccine. Zach, what do you think about the progression of these things and when it's going to happen? I honestly don't think we'll see a general mass reopening till probably June, July at the soonest. Right. I think it was about that time, June, late, I guess mid-June maybe, that everything started to loosen up in the country the first time. And then I think we all got laxed. So from about June until like September, we were all like, okay, yeah, like we're ready to be done with this. And then October came and it was like, yo, like we're still done with this, right? But then it was like, no, 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 <laughs> not, not anymore. And so, yeah, I, that's kind of where I'm at too. I don't think anything's going to really start to break back open. Now, the, the curious thing is what happens after June? I know at like June time, summertime, we're going to start breaking a little bit back open. Probably, I'm assuming. But what happens after that? Because the vaccine should be pretty far out by then. We should have quite a few people vaccinated. Um, There should be a lot more cases of corona that have went around. So, like, the virus at some point should start eating itself, you know? So, like, I don't What's your thoughts? You think we'll be able to like stay open after June? I'm hoping we will. I don't think it'll go back to the exact same. Like I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of employees are still required to wear masks, especially in large corporations. And they'll probably keep like, you know, the plexiglass barriers that are everywhere now. But I think in 